In our world so fixated by celebrity, Vocal Portrait celebrates the everyday wisdom discovered in the everyday people you might meet on the street. Each of us has something to say, something to share, and something to learn, no matter where we are from, where we are at, or where we are going. Vocal Portrait, a place where you can say what it is you believe and allow those who listen to make up their own mind. The question is, will you run the risk of being heard? Welcome to this week's Vocal Portraits. Okay, my name is Mary Venetia Guinness. I am the Artistic Director of Culture Mix Arts. We do music, education, orchestra development and training and development for young people who wish to access realistic opportunities in the creative industries. Well, that's pretty concise. <laughs> <laughs> Deep. <laughs> that is deep. That it's is deep. Fun. That is deep. It's fun. How did you arrive at um, in this role? Um, I've always had a passion for music, the arts, and carnival. Being originally from Trinidad, I've always had a great interest in sort of carnival culture, um, costume making, dance, music, all those areas, and uh, explored explored theatre, fashion and uh, contemporary music uh, throughout my sort of career in the arts so far and uh, found that there's a great demand and great interest and curiosity in steel pan instrument which is an instrument that originates from Trinidad and is now basically a global phenomenon. Um, so developed uh, the work I was doing to focus on those areas, particularly in terms of education okay. and orchestra development. Okay, you have a musical background. I have a musical background. What can you play? I started off playing piano, classical piano, and then progressed on to percussion, most specifically djembe, which is an African drum, yeah. and uh, then drum kit bass guitar, guitar, um, steel pan, and all sorts of other percussion instruments. When you, what was your first instrument? Piano. Piano. What made you want to play the piano? When I was very young, um, everybody had a piano in their home. So that was a sort of pretty much a tradition. Um, that most people had a piano and entertained themselves using a piano. My mother played piano um, and she sung and my father liked singing as well. But my uncle came round one day, I must have been about, I don't know, five or six, and uh, he played Blue Moon on the piano. He had these huge hands, absolutely enormous hands, and could probably do one and a half octaves spread on the piano at the time. It seemed huge amount his hands seemed to just smother the whole instrument and he played Blue Moon and and it made me feel so full of joy I decided then that I wanted to play piano that was that defining moment for you that was a defining moment and how often do you remember that defining moment in your day-to-day -day practice every time I play piano I remember that it's deep man. Mm. 
do you you relive? Do you remember it um, with your heart or do you remember it with your head? I remember it with my heart. I uh, see. This is what this is what I'm interested in now. You see, part of this uh, reason for this call basically is to discover how you make or how you've arrived to be at the point you are in your life. How big a battle has it been between your head and your heart? There's never a battle between my head and my heart and my heart because I am totally driven by um, my passion, desire, inspiration and ultimately my instinct uh, because I believe uh, that um, goals that are driven um, emotionally are much more achievable than those that are academically driven. Okay, okay, so your, how can I put this, your passion is your heart space mm -hmm. for you. How would you let people uh, make that switch? Let's just say we've got someone who makes a lot of decisions mm -hmm. in their head. What ways, techniques, methods, thoughts do you have on becoming a bit more heart-focused? I think a good technique is um, it's to, I mean, you can use the gut reaction thing, but you've got to, that, you've got to be fairly practiced at that, at, at recognising uh, a gut reaction in a way that can help you to make a, a decision, because a decision is made in your mind rather than your heart. You know, the, the instinct, the instinctive feeling you have is what is the deciding factor, what makes you able to make that intellectual decision, if you like. But another technique is, um, is if, you're, if you want to make um, instinctive decisions or emotional ones rather than academic ones, or strategic, if you like, because I'm into I'm into both those areas now. I use both those techniques, yeah. but to, to 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 make the right decision, I, I always I always sleep on it, and and it's your first waking thought on that subject when you when you wake in the, the next day that should give you the answer that you're seeking. And that's that's the, that's your biggest driver. That's my biggest driver for, for if, I'm, if I'm unsure about making a decision, which isn't often actually, um, then sleeping on it or taking time, taking time with it. And, and that time needs to be over a period of days or if you like rather nights so that you can have that waking moment. Because when you wake in the morning, I think your, your mind is, is sort of clear of those things. And then, you know, your thoughts start seeping in and, and start going around in your head. And it, it's how you feel. It's whether it makes you feel happy, sad, whether you're positive, confused, depressed, or, you know, determined, whatever those feelings, it conjures up. That's that's how you inform the decision that you have maybe been considering. How do you know when it's right? At what point? I mean... I, 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 that's totally down to how it makes me feel. So everybody knows what it's like to feel good, everyone knows what it's like to feel bad. There's a, 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 a whole plethora of definitions of good and bad. But if you feel nice and you're content and you're smiling within yourself, then you know that's somewhere towards good. 
if you feel sad and gutted and you can't eat your breakfast or you're reluctant to get up or you're slow in your pace then you know that's going somewhere towards feeling bad so you know I think I think most people have the ability to identify the, those differences and and to 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 decide it's a, it's a bit like when you meet somebody um you know it only takes a few seconds to decide whether you're you might like that person or not that may change later once you get to know them but your initial feeling is is there and and often defines the, the future of that relationship so why why do people uh, why do people make decisions in their personal lives or work lives that they know aren't the ones they should be making why do you think that is um i think the reason for that and i've done it myself i've made decisions which which um you know aren't necessarily the right ones uh and and the reason i think we do this is because we think we're doing the right thing and we're maybe trying to please somebody outside ourselves maybe we're trying to be unselfish or you know we're trying to do the right thing or we know that somebody will approve of us or it will be agreeable to a situation or we think it we believe it would be agreeable to a situation to make that choice or decision and um the 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 right choice is always the instinctive choice the one that's that the initial reaction you have um to having to make that decision and then and then you think about it and you change that you might change that and that's where I think we go wrong is when we change what what uh, instinctively we first our first reactive feelings are and we think mm, no well I, I don't want to do it like that because that so-and-so is not gonna like that or maybe that isn't the right thing to do or you know you refer back to another situation and decide that it would be better and that's when we go into our academic into a sort of our intellectual thinking mode and and that can stifle our, our instinctive decision maker which is there inside us and it's there for a reason um, and all we have to do is listen to it and hear it and, and recognise and be able to translate what it's saying and then you, 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 you can find yourself in that ideal situation of always making the right decision even if the outcome isn't isn't a good one you know that you've made the right decision because you've based that decision on your instinct rather than on your intellect when did this um when did you um implement this in your life at, at what point in your life did this become a way of life for you or has it always been a way of life for you yeah, I started implementing this uh, from a very early age. I wasn't able to sort of actively implement it, but I could um, sort of, uh, well, how can I put it, I could practice or experiment um, by u utilising this technique in terms of, you know, finding a way to deal, the, what, I started implementing it, implementing that process to find a way to deal with my life. It was a way of dealing with my life. It was a way of of internalizing if you like or escaping from the harsh uh realities of of 
our existence within which we reside. So it was about managing my life. So I felt it necessary to start doing that from a very early age. And the times I was brought up in, people generally uh, didn't feel in control of their lives because the sort of uh, the social the, the society's requirements of individuals were different you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago to, to what they are now. There wasn't as much freedom of expression. Um, ambition wasn't uh, something that was encouraged. Um, you know, success wasn't something that was encouraged. Um, humility and, you know, keeping yourself, keeping yourself to yourself and quietly getting on with what was laid out in front of you uh, was the preferred way and society demanded that individuals, uh, an individual that wanted to be part of society should behave in, in, in this way. As a society, have we got, have we become any better? I think, I think we've, be, we've, um, we're, despite, you know, the realities of our global situation, that in the Western world, at the very least, we were able to um, express ourselves. I can remember a time, for instance, it wasn't that many years ago, when uh, the arts was seen as anathema to society, you know, generally not something that was considered necessary, vital or beneficial. That has changed dramatically, and I knew it would change from a very early age because I saw the way people changed, the way people grew, and how attitudes changed. Even within five years, um, attitudes changed, changed within society. So I felt 99% confident that attitudes would change towards creativity, towards the benefits it could bring to, to, to society and to, within communities as well, and um, to individuals who wanted to pursue a creative career I, I, I was confident that that would change because I, I knew from a very early age how much benefits it brought to me as an individual as a small child let alone what the benefits it could bring to to adults communities societies and so on society I have a very young niece um, <laughs> I think she's a year and a half, not a year and three months now. Yeah. Um, how would you say that we could encourage our young people into more thinking from their heart, not just their head? I know the importance of thinking from the headspace as well, yeah. that it plays a part. Okay. But I, I think at the moment we live in a society where the headspace is all conquering. Mm. So, in our academia, how can we encourage what what methods, what strategies? How could we make it easier for generations beneath us to express themselves from their heart space? I think the strategy is quite straightforward, and I employed this strategy with my own children, and that is, it's very simple. A child from a very early age um, expresses or has has a propensity for a certain type of activity. Some children like to play with cars, some children like to bang things, some children like to run around. These these are all indicators of where that that what 
the strengths that child has naturally within them, which, which they're naturally born with. We're all well aware of the influence of nurturing that child can have. And there's a huge amount of debate over the nature-nurture dialogue and which has the overwhelming um, influence. But we all know that both factors are of great importance to the development of a human being. A child um, whose parents identifies its strengths and its desires, that child's desires, um, and nurtures and encourages those will almost certainly guarantee a successful individual and a successful adult if those the the the, the natural um, interests that the child expresses or displays are nurtured, developed, and encouraged. That is it is as simple as that. That's something you've, you've practiced. So I have got. actively practiced that. That's good, man. Cause you know, you talk to some people who preach one thing and practice something else. So it's good to, um, yeah, man, it's good. I think people have a choice. They can either um, go down the tried and tested route, uh, which is they have historical knowledge of how how things are done, how society shapes and develops itself, or they can be radical and push the boundaries and try and create new ideas or develop new ideas and new ways um, uh, to to create a better future. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you. One last question for you. Legacy. What do you think your legacy will be? And does it match what you want it to be? My legacy will be that um, by encouraging young people to um, explore their creativity, you provide an opportunity for them to have a certain kind of spiritual therapy an opportunity to manage their lives and express any issues or celebrations they may have through the creative pursuit. The creative pursuit is merely a tool to the end game, the end game being the ability to manage one's own life and to manage any issues you may have within it. So the legacy for me is one that I've uh, felt strongly that is an important um, an important, uh, how can I put this? I think it's, I think it's an important opportunity for people to have. It, it is that um, creative development provides an opportunity for people to manage their lives in a better way. It provides a kind of spiritual therapy. It's a way of expressing yourself in a harmless and it in fact benefits the people around you, your own community, your family, your community, your society. It, it, it can and, and invariably does benefit those around you as well and provides an opportunity for other people and yourself to celebrate your own life through a creative activity. So the legacy for me is to... Uh, provide an opportunity for people to do that, they can choose whether to, to use that opportunity um, 
as as a kind of spiritual therapy therapy or whether they just want to play music for instance or be creative so they can choose that but it only take only needs one person to use it in in that way for it to be success and uh, my objective is primarily to create a lasting opportunity uh, available for people who want to do that it's about expression man fair play to you fair play to you fair play fair play thank you thank you thank you where can people find you Mary people can find me at the Abbey Gateway um, the, the company's called Culture Mix Arts and uh, we run a school for steel pan music and we do a lot of other things as well as I said before training and development being a key one okay um, they can find us in Reading and the email address is mary at culturemixarts.co.uk and we have a phone number as well which is 0118-9500-929. Mary, thank you very much for your time. My it's, pleasure. It's been Vocal Portrait, and uh, we'll be speaking very soon. If you have something to say, please contact us at www.vocalportrait.com. That's www.vocalportrait.com. Thank you.